Welcome back to Sister Brunch with me, Fanchon Cox. And me, Anya Adams. We're back and talking to you about Black Women Plus working in media, entertainment, and the arts. This marks our fourth episode of our Time's Up series on safety, equity, and power in Hollywood. On today's show, we're talking about COVID-19's impact on the industry, and most importantly, the disproportionately negative health and economic effects on women of color. For women that were caregivers and working outside of the home, the pressure was, and still is, enormous and debilitating. Mm. Today, we are asking the question, who was looking after us then? And who will look after us now that the world is starting to open up again? We've got two amazing guests with us today. One is a return guest, and we're so glad she's definitely one of our most popular episodes. And our Time's Up guest today is Senior Manager of Research and Partnerships, Stephanie Odiase. And yes! And we've also got Kadi Kamakate joining us again. I'll tell you, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Stephanie first. She is passionate about using evidence-based research and policy to improve equitable outcomes. Now she's overseeing the Time's Up Measure Up initiative, y'all. If you have any, like literally just go Google this right now or wait till the end and we're going to tell you how to see this. It's some mind-blowing shit. It's so beautifully done and it's all about data and it's all about us like seeing the numbers in front of us. So Time's Up Measure Up initiative explores the economic impact of COVID-19 on marginalized women in society. And we'll be talking to her lots more about that on the show. She also has a background in management consulting, policy research, and education advocacy. And our love, Kari Kamakate, is an award-winning producer. She's a 2018 Sundance alumna. She has experience in narrative, documentary, and branded content. In collaboration with Homegrown Pictures and Macro Ventures, she co-created the series Lamert Park, which is now airing on BET+. So be sure to go check out that beautiful show. We are so glad to have you guys today to be talking about this topic because it's so important. Can we start with, because we've had Kati on the show before, so we've gotten to kind of hear her trajectory into what she's doing now. So Stephanie, I wonder if we could start with you. Walk us through how you ended up in this position with Time's Up. Like wherever you want to start. I will start, before I jump in, I want to thank you both for having me on the show and making this space for Black women to be Black Mm. women. Like this is just so important for us to have an opportunity to speak our truths and set right the incorrect narratives about what we do and who we are in society. Yes. But yes, what brought me to Time's Up? I'll give you the polished answer and then I'll give you the real nice, answer. Nice. So the polished answer is, as you know, my background is in evidence-based research. I'm a social scientist by trade. I cut my teeth in formal training at Oxford. And, you know, I had the great opportunity of working, you know, doing research with the World Bank, with other organizations, with ed tech startups, um, as head of policy research at Local Civics. And I really wanted a job that was the nexus of research and not just doing research for research sake, but research to actually have an impact yes. and you know social equity with a focus on gender and socioeconomic and race equity. Mm-hmm. Those things are very important to me and basically all I studied in graduate school. So, you know, when it was time for me to make the shift out of management consulting, I was looking around for a job that would fit me. I came across this role at Time's Up and I said, you know, this is perfect for me. This is 
everything I kind of wanted to do and more. Mm -hmm. Having been a researcher on the other side of things, I kind of know how the research grant making process works on the receiving end, but never had been on the funder side. So it was a great opportunity to really kind of understand like the full picture. Mm -hmm. Now, the unpolished or the true version of it is, unfortunately, my father passed away from COVID oh. um, about a week after my birthday. Wow. Stephanie. And, oh my goodness. Yeah. So sorry. Not a fun time, um. to put it very lightly. <laughs> and that really rocked my world. It rocked my family's world. And I went through the mechanics of what it's like to take paid leave, what it's mm. like to be the only Black woman in a company, what it's like to try to care for yourself and also care for others, right? And like those lopsided care burdens that we experience. And I was getting to the end of my mental tether, yeah. to be quite yeah. frank, in the role that I was in um, and feeling very unappreciated, feeling very unlooked after, mm -hmm. given the theme of you know our conversation today. And this role opened up and I said, you know, this organization is doing everything that I'm currently experiencing. This organization is trying to combat the issues of my lived experience. I'd be a fool not to apply. So I threw my hat in the ring and look how there crazy you are. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry for what you experienced. And thank you. Cody, we've had a, a few times to get to speak about what it has been like for you on your end as kind of a freelance producer navigating that world. Do you want to talk about kind of some of the things that you had to do also that you were facing during COVID as this freelance producer? Yeah. I, yeah, quit my full-time, very well-paying job in January 2020. And <laughs> timing-wise, I always think about if I could have changed it, would I have? And I think, like, no, because the fear of being in a job that was not serving me and then feeling trapped because of a pandemic is would have been worse than navigating the unforeseen circumstances of... Because everybody was, right? Everybody was in the same boat mm -hmm. of just, like, we don't know what's going on and whatnot. It was twofold. It was one experiencing the uncertainty at the same time that everybody else was mm. and being in a position where I didn't need to have the answers, which oddly was nice. It's hard to say, it's hard mm. to have nice moments in the context of a global pandemic and so much heartache and loss as Stephanie already kind of shared. So that was also, I think, complex because you're having these moments of repose and of frankly downtime after six years of being nonstop that yeah. I didn't even know I needed until I realized I could be on my couch for a year and still wouldn't be rested enough. So yeah, there was that that I was navigating. And then they came to a time where the industry clearly just did not want to sit still. Like nobody wanted to sit still, right? So the noise and the whispers of like productions are picking back up and how are we going to do it? And that flurry of like, what certifications are needed, what steps are needed, like documents flying left and right, panels happening left and right about educating ourselves mm -hmm. to do this safely started going on. And I kind of came to a point of I was only going to do it if I felt that I could limit the exposure of anybody on my productions. So I only ended up shooting about two times. They were challenging. What was challenging about it for you? You know, in the milieu that I usually work in, which is productions that are usually under 100K, uh -huh. that became like unsustainable with the added yeah. layers of PPE, of testing, logistical requirements needed by a production now. So what you could get for 70K, you needed 120K. And there yeah. was a level of resistance from companies of wanting to do that. And it ultimately came down to 
how comfortable do you feel with risk? Right. Mm. And I had to mm. literally threaten to walk off on one shoot because I was like, we're not mm. getting anything that makes sense. Right. And fortunately, they came to it and they provided all the gear. But, it, you know, it's challenging. At the end of the day, you just want to worry that, like, the footage got to your editor. Not that, like, I hope my crew makes it. This is Sister Brunch with Fanchon Cox and Anya Adams. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Kadi Kamakate and Stephanie Odiase. I'm Anya. Let's get back to our conversation with Stephanie Odiase and Kari Kamakate. The Time's Up Measure Up initiative has stated that we're living through one of the starkest periods of inequality in our history. Mm. Right. And Absolutely. so you have what that means in terms of narrative and storytelling. And then you also have what that means just in terms of black women's lives, how it is that we're just living every day. So how do we navigate the fact that we were working during this period of inequality all of us doing work that would have an impact in that sense. But do you have any feelings of survivor's remorse? And how do you deal with that? And if you're not feeling it, what keeps you from kind of realizing that's not effective or helpful yeah. for you? I, I think that that's such a multifaceted question and such an important one to ask. And when it comes to survivor's remorse, I mean, <laughs> I feel that in multiple ways, right? You know, quite literally, and in the more kind of metaphoric sense of like, yes, I am privileged enough to have like a great job in an organization where I can work from home, where I'm safe. But as I'm sure we all know, and as the research says, so many frontline workers working in the care industry, working in the service industry, the food industry, et cetera, et cetera, are usually mostly women of yeah. color, right? And within that, of course, there are a lot of Black women. So you're sitting at home comfortable when you have Black women, a lot of whom are low paid, a lot of whom do not have the resources that they need. They don't get the PPE. They don't get the hazard pay. They don't get a lot of the things that, you know, would make their work more tenable, more safe. And there's this almost like cognitive dissonance that's going on in society, even besides what I'm feeling, right? Of like, it's okay if they do that, but like, I don't need to do that. Right. I'm at home chilling, right. right? And those are the women that are still employed, right? And forced to go to work, yeah. right? Put themselves at risk put themselves in perhaps other unsafe situations as well with, you know, employer power. Like you have to come in when I tell you yeah. to, you have to do this, you have to do that. But those are women who are employed and there are a number of women that aren't employed. We still have about 2 million women out of the workforce as of today's like BLS jobs data. Right. Mm -hmm. And black women <laughs> unemployment rate is stagnant at like eight, 9%. Wow. Like it's super high. Mm. So you sit back and you think, okay, I'm sitting in this place of privilege. I'm comfortable where I am, but there are women who aren't comfortable, mm -hmm. essential workers who are risking their lives. There are women who remain unemployed or have fallen out of the labor market entirely. Mm -hmm. And then you see the stats about, you know, essential workers of color who are living paycheck to paycheck, right. who have risked food insecurity, who have risked housing insecurity. And it's just like, damn, yeah, like, this is grim. So 
It's a lot. It reminds me of like thoughts and prayers, right? There's like this whole thing mm. that's happening with like, everyone's thanking the frontline workers. It's like thoughts and prayers about the shooting, but like there's not an active right. movement. Right. And that's the yeah. cognitive dissonance I'm, mm. I'm exactly referring to, right? Like you can distance yourself. You can clap for essential workers at 7 p.m. every and night And feel during good the about yourself. Right. But, but what are you doing to, to actually help yeah. them? <laughs> exactly. Right. Go to a party, get COVID, and then go yeah, visit right. them. And then yeah. they have to take the risk of taking care of you. I think, Stephanie, that's why your work is so important in data collection and analysis mm-hmm. is because it's normalized for us to go about our days and not necessarily have exposure to that. And you've got these numbers saying this shit is still going down and it's at emergency levels. And, and what do we do about it? So, Kati, I'm wondering if you've seen a difference in the storytelling that you're doing, that you're producing based on kind of us knowing this data, like understanding where things are, or even in the projects that you choose to support. Yeah, I mean, kind of to your earlier question about the guilt associated with not necessarily being kind of on the front line, one of the things that happened is I had the opportunity to pivot because I was struggling with what my risk to my crew and exposure to myself being. Mm I had the opportunity to join a podcast company that was going to be completely remote. And it literally felt Mm. like a golden ticket landed in my lap. Mm. And regardless of what ideas I had about like my career and those plans, it was kind of like I get an opportunity to work in my home and still storytell. So I felt very, Mm. again, privileged in that moment and understanding like that so many people, including friends that just did not have that opportunity and had to face going back to set all the time. So you do kind of navigate the guilt and also just understanding the risk and understanding not purposely going out and socializing and doing reckless behavior that you know will impact the community Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. I have the privilege to stay inside so I'm going to or if I'm going to take certain risks these are certain precautions that I'm going to do to make sure the people that I come in contact with or the grocery store whatever the case may be I'm as protected as possible so I think those were kind of the things that I was navigating with. So in the sense of how my storytelling and whatnot has changed, yeah, it's audio. <laughs> it's yeah, it's audio right. focused now. The medium yeah, itself, the medium right, itself yeah. has completely changed. But I'm navigating, you know, kind of that on another production that Fanchon, you know, a little bit about, a little bit about. <laughs> Eating on this, y'all. I'm so proud. Yes. So, just thinking about, you know, approaching a narrative script that has quite a bit of physical contact that takes place in a single location Mm. indoors in the midst of a pandemic. Like, there's a lot of responsibility in that. And when you care, that's a differentiation I also want to make. There's a lot of people that are in industry that don't care about the impact of the craft to other people. So, I think when you care, you're thinking about testing, how do you separate? And especially when you care Mm. and you don't have the budget. It's like a lot of these studios Mm. were putting out these like amazing and very detailed list. And I'm like, well, this 75K I got, not going to do anything. So, am I choosing to do art, but then at the detriment of people's health? And like, what's Mm. that conversation? Is this inequality only going to show certain stories because they have the money for it? And that's another weird space, right? Because Mm. studios do have the money and maybe certain commercials or branded projects what I can do it. But when you're thinking of a short film that could, they don't. So navigating that, it's going to be a challenge, but you know, the team is dedicated and excited for it. But yeah, it might mean we can't do certain things. Hey, it's Fanchon, and you're listening to Sister Brunch. We'll be right back. And by the way, if you have not already followed us, 
go to Twitter right now and do that. We are on Twitter at Sister Brunch. Welcome back to Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon, and let's get back into this conversation with Stephanie Odiase and Kadi Kamakate. Are there any things that have happened because of this pandemic that you would like to keep? Remote working, I think, is beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Remote working, Stephanie, for you? Yes. So, listen, I can get in the soapbox and talk about the beauties of remote working and flexible work hours. <laughs> for sure. For As you hours. should. As you and should. I- <laughs> <laughs> and it's so important, right? Because back in, you know, BC, before COVID, when mm-hmm. we had to go into the yeah. office, it was all about FaceTime and productivity yeah. and showing up. And, like, in my opinion, like, these very, like, neoliberal patriarchal capitalistic ways of being a good performer when honestly i can sit at home in my head wrap i can sit at home in my leggings and i can very much so get my job Mm. done and as a black woman it was expected that you do that four times more just to get a quarter of what you know the white cis head counterparts were getting so no i need to be working from home i need to be comfortable i need to hold on to the space that I created for myself. And guess what? My work has only gotten better. Yeah. Like me being a happier person increases my productivity and my productivity mm-hmm. isn't the only thing of value right. to you. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So not only do we generally, once we're in the office, have to work three times as hard, which we have to do from home anyway, but also we don't have to deal with your fucked up microaggressions in our faces right. either. We don't have to have the data that we're constantly making in our heads of looking around and not seeing anybody else that looks like us in our families, right? Like, I I kind of appreciate I that. I feel like as COVID starts to wane, is that old white patriarchal way of being, I think people are going to push that because I think there is a certain degree of like energy suck power, you know, play yeah. that these men that are running these companies are missing. Oh yeah. They're the ones pushing to get back in the yeah, office. They're already yes. Ready. There's a huge push yeah. to get back in the office. It's so interesting. That- it's mostly yeah. from cis hetero men. They don't want to yeah, family no, care. They don't want to share responsibilities. They in don't the care about that shit. They don't want to do anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that Anya, because so we did this great project with the behavior research firm called Ideas 42, basically kind of dismantling the notion around the ideal employee. So showing up, giving your pound of flesh, never taking vacation, Mm -hmm. not taking your sick days. And, you know, what are the behavioral levers around shifting it away from the ideal employee to the ideal employer, Mm. right? So, you know, we're trying to really dismantle, like, employer monopsony and, like, really... Wait, 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 monopsony? What is that? Employer monopsony power is basically the lopsided power dynamics between an employer and an employee. Mm. So because the market, you know, behooves them, there are a lot of people who need a job, they can kind of get away with murder, right? So they can do the toxic things that serve them and, you know, protect their P&L at that your was expense. Capitalism. Um, <laughs> speak on it. It is capitalism. It really yeah. is. So in this research, some of the behavioral interventions that they've pushed forward is, you know, being like flexible working hours, like being able to have conversations with management about this is what I need. I'm a new mom. Like, can you please work with me and set up policies and resources that supports me as a family? So as we go into phase two of that research and, you know, try to implement and see real world impact within organizations, 
we hope to push back on exactly that. The white men who are just like, come back and be under my shoe. Mm. We're not doing that anymore. And that's because you can take that research flip it back to them and say, this is what how it works. You think you're productive by doing this, but that's not productive. Yeah, and I think it translates to our production world where I just came off a very big budget show and the priority was 10 hour days. 10 hour days is phenomenal. 10 hour days is, on- By the way, she's saying that's a good thing, I'm saying Stephanie. It's good Believe it or not, she's saying that's a good thing. 10 hour <laughs> days with an hour lunch and they had two mandatory mask breaks of 15 minutes where you had to leave set and take your mask off. The mask bakes, they do like curtail momentum and you know what momentum, you need momentum on set and sometimes that was a problem. But in general, it allowed you to breathe and move through your day and know I'm going to have this. This is due to me three hours after call. You know, so I hope that that stays in the upper echelon Mm. world of big Mm. money filmmaking is that they prioritize that and shorten the days now that they've Mm. seen. We can be productive, still do it, and do it in less time. We've talked a lot about kind of the practical and like physical production. And I'm curious if one for you, Stephanie, how qualitative research enters into your work. And then for Anya and Kati, are you seeing those differences in the storytelling itself? I think that that's a great question. And when people think of data, they usually just think of Mm -hmm. quantitative data. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we need to take a bit of a step back from that because when you think of quantitative data, it's so centrist, right? right? It regresses to the mean, it focuses on the average. But when your society regresses to the mean of whiteness, you're losing mm, yes. so many narratives. Yes. You're losing so many people. You're not talking about trans people, right. non-binary people, disabled people, all communities of color, the list goes on, right? So in our work, we very much so try to uplift you know, the quantitative data with qualitative data. And there's so much importance and deference that can be given to someone sharing their lived experience. And we see that specifically in our work around the data dashboard. Congrats to my amazing teammate, Anwisha Majumder. That was her child. She brought that to life in such an amazing way. So to complement the data dashboard, we have this interactive platform where you can go through the lived experience of someone, specifically a woman, who is trying to navigate the time that we find ourselves in, right? So you might be going through the story of someone who is a domestic abuse survivor, the story of a single mom with increased care burdens and really seeing what this time is doing to them, right? So when we go back to the policy and the practice, you're not just abstracting away someone's lived experience when you look at the average and the data, you really get to see what someone's truly been Mm. through. And outside of that, we also have our old history project, which we're getting off the ground soon. And that's where we're going to really dig into more of those qualitative stories around women and non-binary people. Because again, they are very lost in the data. And, you know, really see how this time and over time, we're going to track this over time, has really had an impact on them, not just in terms of, you know, them being a worker, but them being a person. That's exciting. Kadi and Anya, I'm curious for you. These shows are starting to speak language that I feel like we've been pushing for them to say, you know, even just begging Mm. for you to just speak some truth in these stories. And now I find myself questioning it. All I'm saying is there was a show written by First Nations people, which I was so excited about. Uh-huh. It's not problematic. Good. Not good. It's not good. No, we still have to have taste. I'm really actually like not team just because it's for the mm. cause. 
it has right. to be good. I think that diminishes our taste and our skills and our expertise and our craft to co-sign something that we don't think is good. Yeah. If I don't like it, I don't like it. If it's bad, it's bad. It doesn't matter if it was full black, all women, all every everything. I'm like, it, did, yeah. it didn't work out. But I'm just careful with acknowledging that it's my perspective is right. that it's bad. Fair, like, like, obviously, fair, fair. If the lighting needs to be good. The audio needs to be good. Like, the you know what I'm saying? I the bait. And all trust of that me, if the story is even great. that. But if the story yeah. falls short. But Agreed. even haven't we learned what good storytelling is from whiteness also? You know what I'm saying? Like, And not to say that that's the only way, but that we have been told what makes a good story. And so I, I just feel, okay. I mean, I, we've talked yeah, about Tyler Perry, right? Like, He's got some great that, stories. That, <laughs> and that's the thing. <laughs> like, definitely. Tyler Perry started out with Medea. He started mm-hmm. out with things that were a little lowbrow. I'll, I'll put it like that. But, but there's folks a space loved it, it and yeah. identified But folks it. loved it and they ate it yeah. up, right? And I feel like there's still importance, even if we don't love it. Like, I don't... Listen, all skin folk ain't kin folk, right? Like, I don't co-sign Agreed. every single thing because someone fall on the, you know, melanin right. spectrum. Like, I'm not going to, but I still think that there's importance to even putting that story out yeah. there in the first place, I right? Agree. Because yeah. if the counterfactual is it not existing at all, then yeah, that's... We don't want that. That's right, true. it's another yeah, story so that's just not story. For sure. The way I think about it, Anya, of the show that I'm assuming you're referring to is that then, at the very least, kids or emerging storytellers at least now get to say, oh, that's something that I can do. Hopefully they're also saying, I'm going to do it even better. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Maybe that's I can a, do it better. It's a motivator. Exactly. It's a motivator. It's a yeah. motivator. Yeah. So, you know, we yeah. don't, we don't right. take okay, it for that. I take it. I take it. I <laughs> There's something too about like the normalizing effect, like the, you know, as we see all these images, as we see all these things, we start seeing that that's part of our worldview and that shapes it. And I think Mm. to the earlier point, what I've seen is just like a heightened level of sensitivity. I feel like a lot of people that I think normally would have not had second thoughts, second guesses, second glances about certain materials, certain scripts are having pause, which is amazing. And are mm-hmm. looking at it, hey, does this truly depict this community? Does this character feel as rounded for this scenario? Is it odd? Is it whatever? And having questions that we can watch shows from even five or six years ago and we're like, wow, they said that and they felt comfortable so at true. it. And now there's yeah, pause. Yeah. And I think that pause is what is the most amazing thing in this process is that we are all of us because we all have blind spots I definitely have blind spots in certain communities that I'm not part of and therefore I know okay this needs another look of this even with our short right like we lose a black woman I'm a black woman we have a really strong through line about Korean Americans in there and we have a consulting producer who's Korean American we're bringing in Korean American filmmakers on this process because we are not going to be from a position that we are an authority on this right Right, and I think that those types of conversations are happening more and that to me is super important we're gonna have to wrap up fairly soon but i know i know but what would you love to see in the future for black women in the workforce both in Hollywood and yeah, Hollywood and beyond. What would each of you love to see? You know, I would really love for black women to really sit in the sense of pleasure 
and what makes us happy mm-hmm. and what really yes. brings us joy. Because I think that is like not part of these conversations because there is so much work to do because, you know, the struggle is nonstop. It's in all directions. It's now Latin on top of a pandemic. So it's even, you know, heightened. But for me, I'm centering myself and I would challenge everybody else. And when I say everybody, every black woman in the world (laughs) to really sit and identify what pleases them. And at a core, mm-hmm. start shifting their lives to be inclusive of that. And if that means, hey, I need to work remote because I can actually afford housing in another state and that's going to bring me pleasure and give me security, then like advocate for that. You know, if it mm-hmm. means pushing for that, you know, promotion, then great. If it means quitting that job, then do it. If it means leaving that partner, then do it. If it means saying, actually, I don't want to have children, let's do that. You know, if it just means living in your truth, even if it's just like, like, actually, you know what? I really don't like oat milk. I just want full fat milk, cow's milk. <laughs> then do it. <laughs> I'm literally envisioning myself smoking a nice sativa you know, like, pre-roll I, right I, after. I, right as right yes, I got you know, me right up, right when we hang up. I just think so much of, you know, our day-to-day life is embroiled in fighting for existence, for air, as often we found in this pandemic that, you know, just sitting in pleasure is very not part of our conversation in day-to-day life. And I think there's so much strength in that and there's so much renewal energy in that. And there's so much autonomy in that. Like people are really frightened when you're sitting in that space. That's my Thank wish. Thank you, Cotty. Thank you. Mm, I like heard. It. I love that. And to almost be, you know, the compliment to Cotty's answer, like the way I think about it, you know, when I think of like, what's my goal for Black women? What do I want for them? Of course, me being a research and data and analysis nerd, like it's very structural and very comprehensive in its application, right? Like when I think about it, I want better solutions and better narratives for Black mm-hmm. women. What that looks like in the public sector, right? Like, you know, we have a lot of great things coming out of the Biden administration with this giant Build Back Better plan. But we need to make sure that that sticks, right? Like we're so close to having like federally mandated paid leave and that's going to help mothers, that's going to help caregivers, that's going to help so many women who have taken on so many burdens and a lot of those women are black women, right? In the private sector, I want us, as I've mentioned at the top, like I want us to shift away from this ideal employee model and go to the ideal employer model. I want us to have jobs that fill in, you know, this wealth gap that is just insane. 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 Mm -hmm. There's no reason why black women should be earning 63 cents on the dollar compared to white Mm -hmm. men, which over time means a million dollars loss in wealth because of this gap. Like I want that to be closed. I want culture change for us as well, right? Until we actually stick the narratives Mm -hmm. about the value of Black women, about our contribution, about what we have done for this country Mm -hmm. since the days of slavery, to our good sis, Stacey Abrams, saving this country from itself in the last election, (laughs) we're not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. And like, ultimately, all of that to me comes from research. We need better research. We need more timely research. We need more comprehensive research because until we actually center everything that we do around Black women, our society itself as a whole is not going to heal. You know, as they say, rising tides lift all ships. We need to make sure that women are, Black women especially, are at the center of the data that goes into the policy and the practice that really very much so dictates our society. 
Beautiful. Yes. Thank you both. Yes. To all of that, you can definitely check out Stephanie's work on Time's Up and the Measure Up Initiative. It's powerful. It's important. It will teach you so much. And Cotty is just blowing up in the best of ways. We're lucky we had her uh, when we had her on. And so we get to follow this beautiful path. Watch Lamert Park on BET Plus. Keep an eye out for Cotty. Thank you for listening to Sister Brunch with me, Anya Adams, and Fanchon Cox. That was our conversation with Stephanie Odiase and Kadi Kamakate. Visit sisterbrunch.com to find out more about them and their projects. Don't forget to visit timesupfoundation.org to find out about their work and how to follow them on social. And follow us on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Sister Brunch and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Sister Brunch Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our show after the show ends. This episode was created in partnership with the Time's Up Foundation. Our show producer is Brittany Turner. Our executive producer is Christabel Nsiabwade. We acknowledge that the land we record our podcast on is the original land of the Tongva, for those of us in Los Angeles, and the Coast Salish for Anya, who's in Vancouver. Can't wait to see you next time. Take care.